Hello, welcome back to another episode of Voices of Chandler, the podcast. I'm your host, Melina Suniga, and I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge within the first minute of this month's episode that September is Hispanic Heritage Month. You know I had to do it, you know. But okay, if the title of this episode got you curious on what the content of this podcast will contain today, you and I both. I worked my magic. You know I had to get creative. So a tribute to Latino leaders and Led Zeppelin is going to come at you with none other than our unapologetically diverse segment for a local feel-good story with Adriana Tusek Erickson and Lavon Ballesteros on the impact that Chandler has had on him and his involvement now in the Galveston community through ICANN, a local nonprofit. Later, we'll be hearing from Cindy Surf at the Center for the Arts and possibly Led Zeppelin? I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Hi, Levon. How are you? I'm doing great, Adrian. I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So the way that we met was we were at a community meeting and um, you had shared an experience about being a part of Chandler and the work in the community that you thought would have benefited you when you were younger. Definitely. So I was really intrigued and I wanted to learn more about you and the work that you're doing in Chandler, but also the impact that Chandler has had on you throughout your life. Well, I mean, let's just start off where I'm originally from. I am from Salinas, California, but raised here in Chandler. We came from California when I was around like five years old. It was just me, uh, my mom, my four brothers, and my three sisters. Something happened between my parents, which forced my mom to move out to Arizona, and we found a spot here in Chandler. We've talked about before how you consider yourself a Chandler kid. Mm -hmm. So where did you go to school? I mean, for starters, I grew up in, you know, government housing, Site 4, which is off of Palm Lane and Arizona Ave, which the closest school was San Marcos. I attended San Marcos kindergarten through sixth grade. Wow. Uh, So yeah, I've been there my whole elementary. It was an awesome experience, to be honest, because within that little community, you know, you meet friends that are your age, older siblings that look out for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Even till this day, like we have a group chat called Project Kids. And the Project Kids is basically like all the students and the kids who lived during that time period where I was with. And I mean, we still hang out to this day. So that's so cool. it's It's really like family. How did you guys get that group started? Was it somebody that said, hey, we have to keep in touch or you guys had kind of maintained the relationship throughout the rest of your education? Uh, You meet different kids that are around your age. Being there for so many years, you just build that relationship and that connection. And um, typically our meeting point would be, you know, the, the rec center that's inside the middle of that little government housing community. Uh, So everybody, you know, straight after school would head over there. We'd do some homework, play some fun activities. And at the time, our rec leader was Mr. Tom. I wanted to hop in really quick and mention that back in June, I was assigned a local feel-good story about a rec leader that had made an impact on the youth of a community. That rec leader was none other than Mr. Tom. A parent figure for all the kids that were living in that, you know, public housing community. And that youth is no more. They went out to universities on scholarships and are now working professionals in fields like education, law enforcement, youth, and some went on to own their own businesses. Levon was actually named one of the 2022 Men of Chandler in Chandler Magazine because of his role as a manager at ICANN as the site leader at Galveston Elementary. He is the youngest man who has 
ever been on that list. We're highlighting him on this episode because of his influence and give back to his community as a Hispanic leader. Back to Levon and Adriana. I have three younger siblings, uh, and two of them were just like a couple years apart from me. Um, so, you know, I started getting those leadership roles and those responsibilities extremely early. I would walk them to school, make sure, you know, they have breakfast, you know, drop them off at their classes. And then, you know, my day on from there would start. Um, and then, you know, after school, go pick them up from the classrooms, uh, start walking home. And then that's when we would attend to the rec room uh, with Mr. Tom. So after sixth grade, which was San Marcos, I, I left from San Marcos and then I attended Bogle. It was different. Um, different it, good? Yes and no, because of the fact that you have like, you know, these kids coming from this neighborhood and they're being mixed in with these other kids who are not necessarily like those kids in need. So they're, they're a little more like it was a diverse bunch because you have, you know, I consider myself as like, you know, a kid in poverty with, with uh, government housing and all my friends. And then you have these other kids that have like four story houses. So it's like mixing together. It's just it was just a different experience. But how I got into ICANN was my younger siblings were attending ICANN at the time. And me being the older brother, I thought it was just like a daycare where mm-hmm. students would just get dropped off and be watched for. Uh, similar to like a boys and girls club. And I thought it was like, you know, for babies, like my mom would beg me like, hey, like, come on, try this. Try this program. Please try this program. I'd rather have you at this program than, you know, on the streets with your friends and doing something that you shouldn't be doing. I give it a shot during the summer, and I mean, like, I absolutely fell in love with the program. Typically for us, I had older siblings as well with my mom, but they would always be out because they'd be working trying to help support my mom. So I typically didn't have any role models growing up because they're always working or doing something else. Right. So when I attended ICANN, I've immediately fell in love because of the fact that they always had a staff member at the front letting the students in, always being greeted, being called by your first name, saying, hey, I'm glad that you guys are here. Uh, Just like similar to Mr. Tom. And I think that's what we really appreciate, you know, someone being there for us. I want to take a step back because we're part of the Chandler community. Mm -hmm. And so we know what ICANN is. Mm -hmm. But for those people who don't know what ICANN is, can you explain what ICANN is? Yeah, definitely. Um, ICANN is a nonprofit after school program where students can learn basically like life skills that they can't learn at home, they can't learn at school. So, for example, when I started attending, they had arts and crafts revolving around confidence and what it takes to be confident, uh, how to be confident when you're speaking, just life skills that you wouldn't necessarily learn outside, you know, any structure other than ICANN. You know, to top it off, it's no cost, free of charge. And you know, to have 200 students around the Chandler community attending there, totally free, dinner's free, the programming is free, field trips are free, everything is free. What really like struck home to me is, okay, you know, my my siblings, my mom working really hard to, you know, pay this off, pay that off, but they don't need to pay for ICANN, right? So that's when it clicked to me, like, okay, like this is a free program, it's fun, I'm not at home, I'm not getting in trouble, I'm somewhere safe and I'm learning stuff. That's why I worked there. That's why, you know, I grew up there. I, I get it. So you're in seventh grade at Bogle and you start ICANN and you start seeing that there's sports and there's opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. What happened next? Started attending ICANN for a little bit throughout my junior high. So seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, I was kind of slowing down because I was taking extra courses 
And so from moving to Bogle, I made a transition to go to Chandler High School. We, sh- we moved out of government housing and uh, moved into a house five minutes down from Chandler High. Understand that my mom can't take me to Hamilton, drive me over there. I don't know anyone. Like, I literally do not know anyone. And all the students that went to Willis, they would be going to Chandler. And that's where I really, like, broke out of my shell. Nice. Because I needed to, right? Right, I needed to. It's a whole different environment. It's a whole different group of students I do not know. And, you know, me communicating with these other students, like, this is a huge shift. These guys get me. I can be myself around them. Do you think that the skills that you learned at ICANN, so you talked about how ICANN kind of honed in on some of those life skills. Mm -hmm. Do you think that those skills helped you succeed at Chandler? Of course. And, you know, going back to that confidence thing, because for me, like, I lacked in confidence. You know, um, Mm -hmm. at that time, I was like, you know, four foot five, 13, 14 years old attending, right? And, you know, my confidence was super low you know, nervous, as you said, like high school is a scary thing. Or at that point, I didn't have anyone at home telling me like, hey, this is how you boost your confidence. And if that doesn't work, we can try this, this or that. So, you know, it it just provided options for me and uh, it's in my memory bank. bank, So whenever I need to pull it out, like I can always go back to like, okay, you know, I remember doing this at this, I can, you know, I tried this way, let's try this way. So you're at Chandler, you're in ninth grade, you're feeling good, you're adjusting well to the, that part of high school. Mm Where did ICANN come into play again for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, it comes in my sophomore year, in 10th grade. Uh, so at the time, they, ICANN had a youth program. It's like leaders in training. Right. Um, they had like a high school position for high schoolers and only high schoolers. Uh, I was lucky enough to apply and uh, receive the position. Nice. Uh, so sophomore year, get hired. And what I did, I was a sort of like a teacher aide. Um, they provided opportunities and, you know, I took it and I ran with it. I love that. Mm-hmm. So what I think I like is that you see the transition mm-hmm. from Definitely. being from being a part of ICANN as a student mm-hmm. to now working for them. So you're a sophomore at Chandler High and you're working for ICANN. Mm-hmm. What happens next? That job position lasts until you graduate high school. After graduation, my manager came up to me and was like, hey, Lava, you know what? Like, I love your work ethic. I love what you do. I understand that you're here in it for the for the kids. How would you like a youth program leader position, which is like a in classroom facilitation position at 18, right? And at that point, like, I didn't know if I wanted to go to college. Growing up in a in a Hispanic household, you got to work hard to get what you want, right? So it, whether it's going finding a nine to five job, working, 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 putting in that overtime, putting in that 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 work. Did you see college as a path for you? It was an option, yeah. Okay. It, it was definitely an option. And um, I didn't think it was the main priority. It's expensive, right? College is expensive. Right. Um, so seeing that my, my older siblings and my mom working to pay off these bills, well, I can't afford college. Right. You know, come 18, don't have a job. I only have, you know, working experience with I can't. I, I don't, I, I can't afford it. And it wasn't until our teen director at the time overheard me say like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not going to college if I'm paying for it. And then that's when she told me about FAFSA. If it wasn't for her helping me fill out that FAFSA form, I wouldn't be in this position. Levon, it's amazing to me because what I hear throughout your story is all the people that stepped up to help you and that you were willing to accept that help. Is that why you working with in ICANN right now and working with the kids is so important to you because you want to be that for those students? Of course. I wish I had a 
stay-at-home role model who would have that extra pair of eyes and teach me all, all, all these life skills and things that you need to understand. The reason why I work with these kids are to show them that they have different opportunities, to show them that someone cares for them, uh, to have that positive role model that, you know, I wish I had. And that's something that intrigued me about your story, because as we were at this community meeting, um, you took the opportunity to thank everybody who was there mm-hmm. for the work that they were doing in the Galveston community. And you were very moved by it. And mm-hmm. I thought that was so honorable of you because you're you're a young man, you're 22. And here you are sitting around a table with, you know, people who are uh, directors and um, officials in different capacities. And you acknowledge the the work that they're doing. But in fact, you're also doing that same work in the community. Mm-hmm. You're a difference maker for, for those kids. Yeah. The first time I realized that is when one of my students, you know, called me their dad. Growing up, I never had a dad. So for, you know, a student to be like, hey, I acknowledge you as this person because you're there for me. It hits home for me. <laughs> Being that role model for these students, that's the reason why I'm there. And that's why I'm, I plan on being there for a couple more years, and we'll see after that. <laughs> if after listening to that, you went, oh my God, you're not alone. Adriana and Levon keep the conversation flowing, and you'll be happy to know that Levon went on to attend Chandler Gilbert Community College, received three associate's degrees in arts, organizational management, and general business, three certificates in leadership and accounting, and later transferred to NAU receiving a bachelor's degree in public administration, all while still working at ICANN. Um, It was a part-time job, but felt like a full-time job. And you can include, you know, the five to six courses I'd be taking every semester. So you graduate NAU. Is your mom there? She's my best friend. Of course she's there. (laughs) No, she was extremely proud of me. All she wants from me is the best. For me, I that's what I do. That's who I am as a person. I give it my best wherever, whenever I'm around you or where, wherever I'm at. She was like, you know, that father figure for us, both mother and father figure. Right. Um, so for her to see me, you know, graduate, walk the stage, receive my certificate, like she bawled out. Levon goes on and talks about life lessons taught to him by his mom. And I really wanted to emphasize the three. First, treat everyone the same regardless of their title. I don't care if you're the president of the United States. I don't care if you're a janitor. You're going to get the same respect. Because, like LaVon said, you deserve it. Secondly, always be rich. And he doesn't mean it in a materialistic way. You know, you got to be humble. Make sure you're open-minded. Make sure you're nice to everyone. Treat others the way you would like to be treated. And last but not least, working hard. Me seeing all my role models, my siblings, my older brother, my mom, like, they had one thing in common, and that's working hard. You know, these guys are working hard. Now it's my turn to do the same. And that's what I see in you, mm-hmm. is hearing your story is really seeing how you really saw the opportunity, and you seized every single one. Mm-hmm. The level of gratitude that you have for all your experiences, because you can look at your story and say, you're one of one of eight children. Mm-hmm. Um, your mom, um, she was an immigrant, you know, coming to the States with, you know, not having all the, you know, family and the support and all of that. And then just seeing how hard you've worked. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about where you are now. Mm-hmm. I was grateful enough to receive another promotion. Nice. So now I'm a site lead at Galveston. And what I do is instead of being in a classroom facilitating, now I am taking a step back and observing the classrooms. Um, so being that extra support system, being that uh, trainer to my, my fellow teammates, uh, you know, just to become better. Truly excited going on my second year, you know, pass on the ICANN culture. 
I also have to adapt to Galveston culture, right? Get familiar with them because at the end of the day, they're both of our kids. They belong to our community and we're there to support them. So let's talk about the Galveston community because I know it is very near and dear to your heart. Mm -hmm. Why is it so special to you? Why is it so special to me? Well, the reason why is because, you know, we have people like us who group up in a community meeting and plan out the best of the best, like, circumstances for our students. That's what I love about the the Chandler community in general. Like, they have these like committees that allow you to provide opportunities to other people. And for us, when we group up in the community meeting, you know, we're all focused on this group of kids and this neighborhood. How do we better them? Because that's what we're there for, right? Absolutely. We're here to help others and just set them up for success. I've always said that uh, when I, you know, get older, become an adult, like I want to get out of this place. And just realizing, you know, looking back at my story and, and how everything happened, like, because of Chandler, I am here in this spot, and right. I don't regret it. So let's take a step back, and let's let's think about Levon at age five. Mm-hmm. So you had just come to Chandler. You were living in public housing. You're a young Hispanic male. Mm-hmm. What advice do you give Levon at age five? You live and you learn. Uh, you know, you make mistakes, uh, but you learn from them, and that's what builds you up as an individual. Something else I would give myself is just keep working hard. You know, putting in that extra work, other people acknowledge it. Um, And for me, I think that's another reason why I work so hard. Because when, you know, I didn't have those extra pair of eyes at home, people acknowledge me. I'm busting my butt to do this, this, and this. Um, Maybe that's why I work so hard. But if I had to tell my my younger self something, it would be keep on working hard. Work 10 times harder if that's the case. What's next for you? That's a really great question. What I think is next for me is find specific ways to better my community that I live in now. Now it's my turn to provide the opportunities to a different community, like the way Chandler provided opportunities to me. I want to say thank you to LaVon and Adriana for taking the time to sit down and have this conversation. A special thanks to LaVon for the impact he's had and continues to have on the youth in the Chandler community. When I visited the rec center in that public housing community, These adults that were once kids had so much love and appreciation and fond memories for the rec leader, Mr. Tom. When I spoke to some of them, they all said the same things. Mr. Tom was their role model. Mr. Tom was the only father figure in their lives. Mr. Tom was kind and gentle with them. I know that's the feeling LaVon gives his students at Galveston, and for that, thank you. If you're listening and you keep up with all things Chandler, as you should... We also have a video series called People of Chandler, where we highlight people from different backgrounds, religions, beliefs, cultures. And this month, we'll be highlighting Tony Alcala, principal at Galveston Elementary, on his impact on the Title I school as a Latino leader. Tap in with us later this month to learn about him. He's an amazing person, leader, and educator. We're going to switch gears a little bit and tap in with Cindy Surf at Backstage at the Center, and she talks to Paul Sinclair from Get the Let Out, a Led Zeppelin tribute band that will be performing at the Center for the Arts on the 24th this month. Here's how that conversation went. We're looking forward to having Get the Let Out at the CCA again. It's such a fan favorite, such a great energetic show. Uh, Thanks again. I appreciate it. Before Get the Let Out, how did you get started in your musical career? Well, that's quite a story. Uh, I'll try to keep it as brief as I can here. But the uh, the reality is this. I was adopted. I just, it didn't matter to me. I, I didn't know different. So I was uh, 
my, my mom and dad are my mom and dad. And that's all that matters. And as I was going through, uh, you know, I was born in 65. So this is, you know, the mid 1960s and in the late sixties, as I was like four and five years old, 1970, all that was going on in music. I mean, you're talking the most wonderful explosive time from the British invasion and all the stuff that, you know, I mean, from Led Zeppelin to Aerosmith in the early seventies and all these wonderful bands, this was a soundtrack of my existence and watching Davy Jones on TV and the monkeys and uh, Bobby Sherman and David Cassidy with the partners. I, I saw these guys singing on television and the long hair and the cool clothes and girls screaming. And I thought, man, that's what I want to do. And this was as a little boy. I mean, literally, I knew this from the moment I got here, like singing was a huge thing for me. And I didn't necessarily know why. I just knew it was undeniable. This was a huge thing uh, in my existence. So I gravitated towards this stuff my whole life and began trying to put bands together in my early teen years and found different guys with, with similar interests. And eventually I found Paul Hammond, the guitarist who I play with to this day and get to let out my business partner, my dear friend of all these years. We met in 1984, uh, trying to put bands together, doing our own original stuff. We just wanted to carve our own niche as being, you know, America's Led Zeppelin or, you know, another version of um, an Aerosmith, Deep Purple, Black, you know, one of these big hard rock bands. We wanted to be our own version of that i literally left high school early for this purpose uh I, my mission was i want to be a rock and roll singer and i'll tell you right now my parents were absolutely right i should have cut my hair and gotten a real job because the uh, i mean not really but it literally it, from the moment i decided i wanted to do this until i actually got success enough to su sustain a life from rock music it was a good 35 years so my parents just wanted me to avoid heartbreak, right? You know, they, no parent wants to see their kid like struggle and they want to see them flourish and do well. They wanted me to be happy, but my mom was like hoping I'd be an architect. And, you know, from, from meeting Paul Hammond back when we did back in 1984 and, and trying to put bands together uh, throughout my life, trying to get success. We, uh, I second mortgaged my parents' home uh, to finance our first album. And we had school buses we used to travel in, like that we would buy uh, when school buses are decommissioned. Uh, you can buy them for like churches and things so you can drive around your people. So we would buy these school buses so we could drive our fans and our band and our equipment around to shows uh, doing wow. the original thing. So we really, uh, Paul Hammond and I left no stone unturned with trying to achieve success in, in the rock music realm and trying to get successful. And, you know, we had so many near misses, like uh, we were playing a local uh, bar and we actually got uh, at the time, the president of Interscope records this is like 1991. I think he was going to come out and see our show. Cause there was interest. Our manager had gotten interest from this guy about maybe potentially signing us. This is what a band wants to hear. You just want to get a record deal. That's the end all be the Holy grail is get that record deal and become somebody. And so we were so close to this so many times. Well, on this one uh, night, we had actually assembled a wonderful uh, fan base at this point and, and, and told them all to show up for this gig. President of Interscope, I guess it was Jimmy Iovine. And this is what we were told by our manager. And he shows up to this bar. We had not informed the doorman because uh, we were so excited. I guess it just slipped our mind. Well, he didn't realize who this guy was or what he was. And he carted the guy and carted his girlfriend. And the girl was pretty young who he was with and didn't have uh, cards. So basically turned her away. The guy was so bent out of shape. He left, never saw our show. And I have so many stories like this where we almost got somewhere. We almost got the blah, blah, blah. And then some something intervened and prevented that from happening. So that was much of my life 
well, it was really all of my life prior to get the let out was a lot of this fighting, scratching, clawing, as we like to say, like, you know, crawling over broken glass 10 miles to, you know, for a record deal, we would do any guys wanted this so bad. And I'm certainly one of them, but it just wasn't meant to be. So you must have had some really interesting uh, side jobs. Not at all. Um, I worked restaurant gigs. Uh, you know, that's what you, know, you, you do anything you can worked in restaurants for 20 years. And then I got out of the restaurant, Paul and I, one of the other ventures we took on uh, within the music business was building a recording studio. Eventually that turned into mastering. And so we've mastered records all over the globe. You know, we don't have any uh, super A-listers, you know, we didn't uh, uh, produce U2 or anything, but, but we've done some really cool stuff over the years. And it was a fun way to keep in the business connected with musicians, living that life instead of sitting there chopping fruits out or making zucchini bread. One thing we both share is an incredible determination. Like we're persistent guys. We do not give up. And uh, then when one of us wants to give up, the other one talks the other off the ledge. So we've been doing this, you know, all these years. And, uh, and that, that was pretty fantastic to have someone like that in my corner all these years to try to make this stuff happen. You know, ideally our own original stuff that we would take our influences and create our own thing from, mm-hmm. like all the greats did. I mean, Aerosmith are huge Led Zeppelin fans and uh, Aerosmith are huge Stones fans. We wanted to do the same thing. And that was the goal was to do that, ideally get successful and be able to play rock music for a living. But because of our steadfast attachment to that era, we became known locally for those guys, you know. So we're known for being those people and our own original band. People would say, well, you kind of sound like a combination of Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin. I'd say exactly. So when an opportunity arose back in the fall of 2003, some guys locally putting together a Zeppelin show and they heard of me, but they were looking for a singer. They, they heard of me from doing this local gig at a, at a bar where Paul and I were getting paid 50 bucks a piece to sit in with the house band on the first Sunday of every month to play like three Led Zeppelin songs and maybe an Aerosmith tune. That's how it began. And 10 months later, I get a call from these guys that are looking to do a Zeppelin show. They heard of me. Um, I came in, you know, Paul comes with me and they wanted to do more of the live improvisational Led Zeppelin approach to the concerts, what Zeppelin did in concert. I mean, some of it's kind of cool and I enjoy their, their improvisational abilities and there were moments of brilliance and really great stuff. But at the same time, you're not necessarily guaranteed a satisfying performance if, you know, depending on what you're there to hear. I know me, maybe you're like me where you've been to a concert in your life that you love the artists, you know the songs, you went there, you're excited to hear it. And then they do some, a different interpretation of their songs than you were expecting. Mm-hmm. And you can't sing along, you can't play air guitar you, you, and you're sitting there like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. <laughs> right yeah well that that right there in a nutshell is the inspiration behind exactly how and why we do what we do and get to let out like the uh the curator of a traveling led zeppelin museum the fact that i get to take people on this trip down memory lane with this music that shaped and molded their lives was a soundtrack to their life because either they lived through it or because of classic rock radio, whatever. But it's so much a part of, you know, they came up with their friends listening to Led Zeppelin albums at parties and things. And again, never saw that coming as a kid, but it turned into the greatest career that I could even hope for. So in performing Led Zeppelin, as long as you have, is there wisdom that you've learned from Led Zeppelin? Led Zeppelin are notorious for having these albums that if you analyze them as a music critic and someone who might have more knowledge musically uh, and, and with regard to engineering, performance, all these different things, if you've got a more critical ear, you listen to them and you find that they left what, would pe- what people would consider to be a lot of mistakes. 
Mm-hmm. You know, where they were late, they were early, they hit a chord that wasn't right. They were there's there's dissonance occurring because they're playing, you know, major over minor or there, there's some issues going on tonality wise that aren't correct or rhythmically. These are the things that I was adamant about removing from any recording I ever did. And a lot of these things are where the, uh, so much of human emotion and some of the magic lies within these performances. So if you've got a performance that is otherwise filled with fire and fury, but you got a few bumps along the road or, or warts along the way, you leave it. That mm-hmm. was what was fascinating about it. I never knew that Led Zeppelin was, I thought Zeppelin was a whole lot of love and, you know, this, this ballsy testosterone filled, you know, rock music that inspires you to shout from the mountaintops. And, but their goal every time they wrote a song and recorded a song was to do something different than they did the last time. Because he, he's just trying different things. Mm-hmm. What an inventive, creatively, mind-blowingly powerful guy and band this was that they were always looking to uh, create something new with every performance. I come from a whole different place. I love the performances that I've heard and fall, fallen in love with. All I want to do is replicate it as closely as I possibly can every single time. Yeah. So what I love about music is, is the polar opposite of what those guys did. But man, the wisdom boiled down is the beautiful perfection of imperfection have you met any of them or do you know if any of them have ever seen you guys perform well we know they're they're absolutely aware of us for a few reasons uh one reason we know for sure is because about three years ago we got contacted by their attorneys saying you know could you guys please not use the american leads up on as a tagline (laughs) sure no problem whatever they want us to we're you know our lives are being spent paying tribute to these guys last thing we want to do is is uh, make them upset the guys in leads up have never attended a show to our knowledge um i'd love to meet the guys at some point but as anyone paying tribute to you know their musical heroes would i'm sure um but as i mentioned earlier our show is sort of the antithesis of what zeppelin enjoyed to do themselves mm-hmm. um uh, robert plant you hear him talk about why he doesn't want to do zeppelin he, he's not a jukebox he doesn't want to go out there and and be expected to basically be this 21 year old kid that he was and do these songs every night the way they go like that's just not what he wants to do with music i get mm-hmm. it i mean that that's his thing but um I'm sure he can understand, you know, my mission here and on some level and deliver it with all the passion like a fan would. I mean, you know, I would say one of my my biggest problems within our show is that I'm so excited about these songs and they mean so much to me that sometimes I deliver them with more force than Robert Plant did because the vocal Mm -hmm. to me feels so powerful, even though if you really listen to Robert Plant, he sort of is like this trippy, sweet, like, singing in the sunshine laughing in the rain it's all like mm-hmm. sweet and beautiful and i'm sitting there trying to put like steve marriott grit into it and, like really <laughs> i sound like brian johnson of acbc hitting me something so i i mean i'm exaggerating but i've um i've worked on that over the, over time and, and really tried to pull it back because i want the songs to sound like like they do and like we all love them so that's been my mission and um hopefully i'll get to discuss that with the guys at some point what was your very first concert oh what a wonderful question because i I love the answer (laughs) so my very first concert was see my shirt here oh aerosmith yeah steven and robert are like neck and neck but steven was my first love steven tyler i'm such an aerosmith freak 
And I fell in love with them so much in the late seventies and wanted to go, I, I, this is before MTV. So it's like, you never saw your heroes live action. Uh-huh. You know, you just, you, you know, because to see them, you'd be staring at album covers without MTV. It's hard for people to understand this with, with media the way it is now where you can see any performance you care about, you know, talking to you, maybe doing a, a phone message for your voicemail. <laughs> like you can get you, it's, it's a different era, but back then, this was these literally were like mythological creatures, gods to us. And so I found out Aerosmith was going to do a small club tour to support their Night in the Ruts record that was released in 79. It's a bad time for them. But I fell in love. Love these songs. Dream On is the blueprint of my existence. That song mm-hmm. means everything to me. I was like, oh, my God, I got to get tickets to this concert. They're going to be playing uh, this place in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, uh, called it was the old Latin casino. It was called Emerald City. It was a discotheque. I was like, I have to get to the show. So I had a friend getting me tickets and um, it, it, this is when they sell them at record stores. You go to Strawberry Records and you stand in line for 10 hours and whatever. And my friend said he got up there, got in line. It was sold out in two hours. He didn't get tickets. I was, you know, I wasn't going to be able to get to see the show. I was really bummed, but I'm a persistent guy, as I mentioned earlier. So I sat there, thought about this. I literally put together a think tank of my friends at the local like Clover Mall. We sat there around a table and said, all right, how am I going to get tickets to this? What can I do? And people had different ideas. At one point, someone had the idea, what if I put on like a sandwich board sign and walked up and down the highway? Wanted Aerosmith tickets. We'll pay top dollar. Call or stop. Here's my phone number. So I took off from work. And this is like 1980. I made the sign. I walked up and down a mile stretch back and forth for four hours on this highway. And I was getting very discouraged. At the very end, a guy stops on a motorcycle. He's like, hey, Paul. Like, hey, what's up, Tony? Some guy I knew locally. He's like, you want tickets? Uh, well, my sister uh, sells Coke to one of the DJs down at <laughs> MMR. So I was like, uh, really? Uh, yeah. He's like, I got some connections. Let me see what I can do. He ended up getting me two tickets. This is 1980. Mm-hmm. $75 a ticket. So it was 150 for a 15 year old, a 15 year old kid, 150 bucks for two tickets was a lot of money. And now I'm 15. I got these tickets to uh, Emerald City. I looked at tickets. You had to be 19 to get in. Well, this is before photo ID. So what I was able to do is I had friends at the restaurant I worked at, and this guy was 19. He's like, I'll let you use my ID. So I started practicing how to write his signature, memorizing his address. I'm preparing for what's going to happen. I don't know. I've never been to a concert. Are they going to test me? Are they going to make me break out a signature pad and sign something to show that I got the same thing? I had no idea what I was up against. Then I thought, well, it's a disco tech. Do I got to dress like like I'm going to a disco. So I went and bought disco clothes. I didn't know what I was doing. I bought these slacks and silver shirt and everything. And then I I was like, I got to find a ride. I don't drive. My parents were going to take me to a concert in New Jersey. So a guy at the local record store, they knew me as the Aerosmith kid because I'm always down down there buying new copies of the albums that I've beaten to crap and I'm buying a new one to replace it. And they're like, hey man, oh, Aerosmith? Sure, I'll take you to see Aerosmith. I'm like, great. Now I got the ride. I've got the clothes. I got the ID. I've got the tickets. Here comes day of show. It's June the 3rd, 1980, a Tuesday. I get off the school bus. I get to my house. I'm like, I'm going to run down to the to local mall to talk to that dude. I get down there on my bike, and it's starting to cloud up a little bit outside. I'm like, man, it looks like it's going to rain. I walk into the place. The guy's like, um, yeah, dude, I got bald tires. I don't got an inspection sticker. I can't take you. I'm like, what? I got $150 invested in these tickets to close. The air, it's going to go. This concert's going to happen in a few hours. I'm freaking out. Mm-hmm. I call my father. My father's the head waiter at the uh, the restaurant that I worked at, the Blue Bell Inn. I said, Pop, I, I, I can't go to this concert. You know, I'm crying. I'm freaking out. He's like, I, I don't know what to do. Tell you, Paul, I, I can't I can't leave work here. Uh, let, me, let me call you back. All of a sudden, the storm came about. 
knocked out all the power in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. The Bluebell Inn was working by candlelight where my father was waiting tables. This is just as I needed to have this whole thing happen. My father calls me back and says, Paul, power's out down here. I'm going to let a few people go. One guy lives in Cherry Hill. This old waiter named Eric is like 80 years old. He's going to drive down there. I'm going to have this other kid who's a busboy drive you down to the concert. You hop in a car with him. You're going to follow this other guy. You're going to go to Cherry Hill, go to the concert. So now, because of this power outage, two, three hours before the concert, I end up with a ride getting down there. I put on my disco clothes. I get in, my, get in the car. I got my tickets. But I brought along a pair of jeans, an Aerosmith concert shirt, and a headband just in case. Sure enough, we pull into the parking lot down there. Everyone's dressed in jeans and T-shirts. I'm, I'm changing in the car, putting on so I look like normal. I learned also that when trying to pass myself off as 19 years old, it was helpful if I took some black mascara and painted the little blonde hairs on my lip black. So it looked like I actually had a little mustache. <laughs> and sure enough, with that fake mustache, my mascara, my, my, now my rock clothes, I put on a tough guy stance. So I pretend like, I, yeah, I belong here kind of thing. I walk up. And when that guy looked at my ID, looked at me, looked at the ID, gave it back and let me in the door, I felt I'd entered the pearly gates of heaven. I, I could not, I can't even begin to tell you what that feeling was like. Wow. And then, uh, and there, Aerosmith took the stage and, um, and that was, that was my first concert. Okay. So it wasn't exactly Led Zeppelin, but I mean, it was close enough, right? Did you hear Paul's vocals? This podcast is brought to you by the city of Chandler. If you want to learn more about anything that was discussed today, you can visit voicesofchandler.com and tap in with us on social. Thank you so much again. Make sure you keep an eye out for next month's episode. And if you haven't yet, check out Directly From The Source, another city podcast that goes beyond the hearsay and brings you insights about Chandler and explores issues impacting our community with the experts addressing them. I'll leave a clip from that show so you can get a gist of what it's all about. Welcome to Directly from the Source, a Chandler podcast where we share insights about Chandler and explore issues impacting our community with the experts addressing them. So let's talk a little bit about the fire department. There's a lot of different ways that the fire department serves Chandler. So I'll let you elaborate a little bit on a few of the things that maybe our residents don't don't necessarily think about. Sure. So Matt, I'm sure, you know, as people are listening to this podcast, the most obvious is our response. And and we do respond to just under 30,000 calls per year. Uh, we're a very busy fire department. We respond out of 11 fire stations. How will that expand our capacity? Like how many millions of gallons per day or will that facility un- enable us to recharge? That new facility is going to be a 10 million gallon per day facility. So that's how much water we can treat through that facility. It is an absolute hotbed of aviation development at present. A lot of that has to do with the fact that we have what many consider to be the most perfect flying weather on the planet. It's hard to debate that. Thanks again for joining us at Directly From The Source, uh, where we continue to delve into important issues that are impacting our community. And Simone, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you.